verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. There's a few things I want to notice right away about this story and the way it starts off. Uh, the first thing is that I want us to notice is notice that they were both doing what was commanded to do. This comes from Genesis 1.28 where God commands them to tend to the ground and to rule over the earth and uh, to multiply and be fruitful. And so neither one was doing something that was bad. It wasn't bad to raise the flocks. It wasn't bad uh, to grow the, the crops in the soil. And so one had sheep, the other had vegetables and produce, and they were both doing what God commanded to do. So from this beginning, it's not like Abel chose the right profession or the right thing God wanted and Cain picked the wrong thing. In fact, God is very pro-vegetable. I want you to know that. And so here's Cain growing the vegetables. Here's another thing I want you to notice. They both came and they both offered a sacrifice. It's not like in the story, Abel comes forward and says, God, I love you, I want to give you this. And Cain's like, I don't need to do anything for you, God. See, they both come and offer sacrifices. And so on the surface, it would seem, and this is one of the primary questions a lot of people have about this particular story, is what's the difference? What's going on? Why would God accept one and not the other? So to start off, I want to sort of paint that picture that they were both doing what God commanded them to do. They were both offering a sacrifice. Well, let's take a closer look at Cain in this story. A few more verses here in verse 6 as we look at uh, a closer look with Cain. We'll be reading verses 6 through 9 and where God doesn't accept his offering and then he goes to, to murder his brother. But while we're here in verse 3 and 4, I want you to notice a difference between the gifts. If you look carefully at the language, and the video did a good job to bring this out as well, uh, when Cain comes forward, he offers just some of his produce, it indicates. Almost like a random selection. When Abel comes forward with his uh, flocks, he offers the firstborn, it says. The very best of his flock. And so the difference really, as we look at Cain, is that Cain seems to be saying, God, you don't need my very best. In fact, God, you're not worthy of my very best. I'm going to keep the very best for myself. Whereas Abel was saying, God, you're worthy of everything. I'm going to give you as a sacrifice. Uh, the portion that I give you will be my firstborn, first fruits. Now, this makes Cain angry, of course, when his uh, offering is not accepted. And he's angry at God. Well, he ends up being angry at Abel, too. How many of you in some way know, can think of a situation in your life where you kind of know what that might feel like? Maybe you've been angry at God, okay? And then maybe because of that, you're angry at other people, okay? See hands around the room. And so as you think about that, this is part of what was in Cain, part of 
uh, what's in us. So, and then we'll see that he was given a, a choice or a chance to make it right. Let's look carefully at these verses. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? So this is after his uh, offering was refused. God did not accept it. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so Cain's face to face with God here, and he has a, a chance. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Of course you will, Cain. You have a chance. You have a choice to do what's right. Now, some people uh, originally, you know, as they studied the passage, and there's been thoughts about maybe, um, as I said, about the difference of the offering being the animal, they kind of think about the Old Testament sacrificial system, which comes later. And they think about that uh, Abel's was accepted because here the, the Old Testament sacrifice required, you know, the blood of an animal. But this is, remember, this is contextually at the very beginning of the story. That old, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before that's instituted. God hasn't commanded that yet. And so, again, Cain's offering would have been fine if his heart and his action offered the best to God. And so here sin is crouching at his door. Now, it's interesting. It almost seems prophetic in verse 7, right? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. Has he sinned already? Yeah, he sinned already. But sin still crouching at his door, waiting to devour him, waiting to destroy him. And then we see how this is fulfilled here. Verse 8. So Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Now, if you're watching this like a, you know, a suspense drama horror movie, this is the point where the audience is like, don't go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. How many of you have heard this story before? We just read that like it's nothing sometimes, right? But think about it. Adam and Eve, perfection in the garden. All that's known is goodness and life. And God says, don't eat from that one tree. And then Satan deceives them. And he says, oh, God didn't mean that. Surely he wants you to eat from that tree. And and they do, and the sin affects everyone. And, you know, however many years later, these boys are growing up a little bit, and here's just something that seems maybe so, I don't want to say normal, but maybe we're desensitized to it. But think about it. And all of a sudden, out of jealousy and out of his own, it was his own fault, you know, it was Cain's fault. Out of that, he's killing his own brother. It's really quite tragic. Uh, and then many of us know from the consequences of sin and the result of sin is that we try to cover it up with another sin. And so the Lord comes and says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? Now I have a twin brother, his name's Alan, so I used to love this line when people would ask me where my brother was. I'd say, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? I would say that a lot, but my brother's still alive. So even if I don't know where he is, he's somewhere here. 
uh, roaming around. But here's Cain, who killed Abel. We presume he buried him in the field, although the text doesn't say that specifically. And then God says, where is he? I don't know. All right, kids, how many of you have ever done something wrong and then told a lie to try to get out of it? Parents, close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes, parents. You've told a lie then to try to cover it up and so you wouldn't be caught. Okay, so there's a few honest kids in the room there. Okay, that's good. Your parents know that. You know why your parents know that? Because guess what they did when they were kids? Yeah, they probably did that too. Now, maybe this is even... We all do this to some degree, and maybe when we have brothers and sisters, we do this even more. Maybe we try to blame it on them or something. It seems to be a temptation for us. So so notice those uh, differences. And notice here how Cain was angry, and he acts in his anger to kill his brother Abel. But this verse, such a key verse, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now, this is God himself talking to Cain. You should rule over it. You're in this moment, God says, I understand this moment for you. And you have some kind of choice here. Don't give in to the sin. Don't let sin be your master here but rule over it. And Cain goes out and does quite the opposite thing. Now, as I was thinking about it, I began to think about it in the framework of worldviews. You know, a theistic worldview recognizes that God is the ruler over all. He's creator. He's separate from his creation. Uh, Humanism is a worldview that says humans are the highest thing. They're the end of everything. So what should be done would be for the benefit of humans. It seems to me like Cain in this time of having been affected by his parents' sin and giving time to think through this own situation, it seems like he's adopted a humanistic worldview. Clearly in his offering to God with his sacrifice, he's not giving the best to God. He wants to keep the best for himself. And then clearly in this moment here, he chooses to do what his own desire is instead of following the rule and the law that God uh, would give him. And so he makes his own plan, and he follows through with it, and he kills uh, Abel. Now, just in case you're tempted to blame God here, don't blame God. This is Cain's fault. In fact, the passage suggests in verse 8, that really it's premeditated murder. He thought about it. He planned out a time. You think when he said, let's go out to the field, would you agree with me that he knew what he was going to do already? It sure seems like the passage suggests that. And so here, premeditated murder uh, comes up into the story. Well, there's some really important verses that I've appreciated from the Bible Uh, throughout my life. And so I want to take a closer look at Cain, really meaning us, uh, from Romans 6, 11 through 14. This is a key passage uh, in the New Testament and families and individuals. This is a great thing for you guys to read at home, maybe a little project for you uh, later today or this week to look through Romans chapter 6, and specifically these verses, and we can look at them together. 
Look at what it says here in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Think about that for a minute. Look at those words. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. This is exactly what Cain did. He offered parts of himself, his mind, his arm, as he struck his brother to be an instrument of wickedness. The passage goes on, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And so this was written by Paul in the New Testament after Jesus had invaded our earth as a human, taken on human form, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again so that we could have power over sin. Cain's story is way in the Old Testament at the beginning, before Christ came, and yet we're both faced with, it seems like a very similar choice, to choose to have have sin be our master or that Christ would be our master. And the results are wickedness or righteousness. And in the case of Cain and Abel, we see the result is actual death. So go back to Genesis 4, 7, and you see Cain's very similar choice there. If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin's lying right at the door. I mean, picture that. Its desire is for you. It's just waiting for you to open that door a little bit more of a crack or to start to take a step through. And wham! Sin as a powerful force operated in the domain and kingdom of Satan and inherent in all of our natures is looking for that control to rule over us. And so this early in the story, in Genesis chapter 4, we see the evilness of sin spreading and it affects our relationship with God and others. Remember, again, we're not that far away from the beginning of the story when things were beautifully perfect. And so it affects our relationship with God and with others. Now, I wanted to bring up a few things uh, you know, from the news, but I'm not going to dwell on it too much. You know, a lot of little ears. And, but there's, you just, would just look at one day. Look at our city, look at our country, whatever you want. Just one day and scan the headlines and you'll see terrible things. I mean, terrible things. Families, that, but really, one of the things that's striking me is how terrible this is. I mean, Cain killed his brother. You know, we just know it as the Sunday school story and we kind of don't think about it. You know, but there was a, a dad just this week, two days ago, I think, uh, his son, five years old, eight. Uh, it was from Father's Day. So it was, what was that, last Sunday? two Sundays ago, and he had a leftover cake from Father's Day, and the five-year-old kid ate some of the cake, and the dad couldn't control his temper, and he killed him, shot him in the... you believe it? I mean, that's our country. Can you believe Cain killed Abel? 
It, it's just happening everywhere. There's people, they're, they're lying about it. And on a less consequential level, there was a lady in Walmart yesterday who walked around the store and ate, as she walked around the store shopping, she ate half of a cake. I guess she was hungry. She ate half of a cake. Now, how many of you, okay, kids, raise your hand. How many of your parents have ever eaten half of a cake when they're shopping? No, I haven't, don't see any hands going up. Okay. Now, that one's funnier. Uh, what is the consequence? But she gets to the register. I don't know what her face looked like or what her hands look like, but she gets to the register and she said, I, I want to pay half price. There's only half a cake here. Now they have her on video eating the cake as she's And so they they're like, well, there's only half a cake there cuz you ate the other half and so they called the police and then she finally admitted it and I don't know if she bought the cake or left it there, but like I mean that's terrible too, isn't it? What is that? Stealing. That's theft, right? And so there's you look at our world and some of it seems to be humorous there was a guy with drugs on his face. I mean, it was in the car. He was, they were pulled over, and he would tried to claim they weren't his drugs, even though, you know, the residue was all on his face. He's like, well, they're not mine. And so, like, it affects us, right? And it affects our world. And for those of us that are Christians, we're... We're thankful for the power of Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. And we're thankful for the full expression of that hope and confidence we have when Jesus returns and makes everything right. In the meanwhile, we're living in that broken world that Jerry talked about last week, where it just seems kind of messed up. But we're part of that. And so... There's more uh, grace amidst the consequences. This is one of the themes from last week. Uh, amidst the consequences of sin, as sin is introduced, there was much grace. And Jerry gave uh, three, four, five uh, examples of that in the story. And so as we continue in the story, I want you to think about the grace that's inherent in this part of the story, particularly uh, for Cain. And so verse, nine, uh, sorry, verse 10 picks up and says... This is God talking to Cain right after Cain lies flat, flat out to his face. I don't know where my brother is. Am I supposed to keep track of my brother? Now, if you were God, well, you can think about what you might want to do in that moment. If you're a parent and your kid lies right to your face and you know he's lying, ooh, that's frustrating, isn't it? I think that's frustrating. No, I never, I never did that to my parents, but my my twin brother did that to my parents quite often. But the Lord said to Cain, "What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. See, God knows about it. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from the, your hand." When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. And remember, that's what he did. He was not a shepherd. Abel was the shepherd. He was the farmer. 
so the ground will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, verse 13, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. It's interesting conclusion that Cain arrives at there. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So that's into verse 16. Now if you read the rest of that chapter, You'll see some genealogies in there. Adam and Eve have some more uh, babies in there. In fact, Cain will, with his wife, will have a baby. And they'll start to build a city uh, where will they live and settle down here where it says east of Eden in the land of Nod. And so I want you to uh, about, take about 30 seconds, maybe turn to somebody that's near you, and think about uh, what is, where's the grace amidst the consequences? There's certainly consequences here, but where's the grace in the story? Where do you see grace in the story, maybe towards Cain? Go ahead, take a minute and think about that with somebody. I don't know, did any of you see maybe that the fact that Cain didn't die on the spot right there for murdering his brother? There's some grace there, yeah, right? Even that becomes part of the Old Testament code, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? A life for a life, you take a life, yours then should go. There's sort of part of that code that a lot of people understand in a way that are like, hey, well, that seems to be fair, okay? But God banishes him instead. Uh, if you continue on in that passage in parts of the verses that were not on the screen, uh, I think the fact that he gets to you know, have his own family and start a legacy and build a city. Now, is work hard for him? Yeah. And this is almost like a double curse, it seems like, right? Because the curse to man, to Adam, was, you know, he'd have to toil. And when he worked the ground, it would be really hard. That was part of the curse already from chapter 3. And now Cain's curse is like, it's really going to be hard. It almost seems like, specifically for him, this would be uh, very hard. And yet he, he names his uh, first son Enoch, which means consecration. He's consecrating him to the Lord. There seems to be some understanding from Cain that God's been gracious to him and he wants to start to give back to God in some appropriate way. Maybe that's part of what he missed in the first place um, earlier in the story. So there certainly is grace in, in this story. Now, there's some common questions. Uh, the, the first one we've tried to address, I'm going to come back to it as we conclude in a few minutes because... I think it's one of the key points about how we approach God um, with what we give to him. Um, but another very common question people ask when they read this story is, what was the mark on Cain? Uh, which shows up here after God banishes him and, and sends him away, puts a mark on him. And so, let me tell you, in the end, spoiler alert, nobody knows what it was. But there's been lots of ideas. So I want to start with an idea I had and then give you some 
that other people had. Now, I had an idea that the mark on Cain, that mark was an unspoken third brother named Mark. And he jumped on, he jumped on Cain, and he's like, why'd you kill Abel? Why'd you kill Abel? Now there's only two of us. We can't play monkey in the middle anymore. And that was the mark on Cain. In fact, you know, there'd be a mark on Cain. I don't know, it's just my idea. It came to me. I thought maybe, maybe that could be there. Okay, now turn to someone near you and just say, he's kidding. He's kidding, yeah. Okay. And then other people have thought, now what's the first thing you think of? It's probably like a, on him, right? Like a tattoo? Is that what you think of? Or a something that's there? That's the first thing most people think of. And so I thought of, well, what's kind of the, you know, like a mark that would show nobody can really get him, he's invincible, and I was like, I know what, the mark on Cain, this would be the mark on Cain, right? To show his invincibility and superior. Okay, turn to someone and say, he's still kidding. All right. But maybe, with all these theories, okay, these were just my suggestions, you don't, you don't have to write them down or anything, uh, but what is it? Well, the early Jewish writers uh, had what essentially were commentaries on the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And so they tried to explain maybe what all the different verses could mean and how to think about them and apply them. And so uh, a lady named Eva Morosek uh, sort of summarized what this mysterious mark could be, ideas that the Jewish writers had in their uh, Mishrath, which was their commentaries. So these are ancient commentaries. The Hebrew word oth is this word for mark. It can mean a sign of any kind, and there's nothing to indicate, or it could be a token or a mark or a sign of any kind. There's nothing to indicate if having such a mark is good or bad. And so some of them, it was some kind of distinguishing sign or spiritual presence or something, and some interpreted it as something that would give him divine protection, and others interpreted it as maybe like a badge of shame. Well, uh, one suggestion from the early rabbis in the Midrash was that it was leprosy. Now, I'm not saying these necessarily make sense. I'm just showing you that over many, many centuries, people have tried to figure out what the mark of Cain is, but nobody really knows. Um, There's been some terrible interpretations that we know are wrong, like mine, but there's been others that have had terrible consequences where people, even in the last, say, the 18th to 20th century, have interpreted this as a way to uh, devalue certain people group or race. And this was used to say that certain people were uh, racially better than other people. It's a terrible misinterpretation of the scriptures. It was used in anti-Semitic ways also. Um, but in, the, in these uh, older um, midrashes, they suggest leprosy. Another writer uh, relates that Cain grew a horn. I don't know what you think about that. It would be a defensive weapon, and uh, but also a mark of identity. That one doesn't, 
I don't, I mean, I wouldn't think that, but somebody says God gave Cain a dog. And this dog was a sign that it was, uh, you know, protect him from his attackers, but it was also a stigma. Dogs were not accepted in the Old Testament as we have domesticated and accepted them today. Uh, and then later on, a later meaning of this Hebrew word, oth, became a letter of the alphabet. And so uh, others then think that God inscribed a letter on Cain's arm, almost like we would think of a tattoo. And then people would see that and know that story and associate, hey, i got to leave that guy alone. I can't uh, kill him for whatever reason I would want to kill him. So, um, And you can read more details about all those things if you, you know, if you look it up. But again, those are just theories. Ultimately, the mark on Cain remains really unknown as to what exactly uh, that it was. So, so let's finish with us our... Going back to this question of why wasn't Cain's sacrifice acceptable? The whole idea in the story of Abel gave something that God said was good. And Cain, God said, no, I'm not going to take that. I don't need that from you in the first place, and I'm not going to take it. So there's some important uh, things to remember as we keep sort of this question in the background. The first important thing I want us to remember as we apply this to our own lives is that God is gracious while still being just. You see that in chapter 3. You see that here in chapter 4. God is gracious while still being just. He's not dismissing sin when he's gracious. He's not just saying, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right? We do that. We try to do that if we're trying to get out of something. right? And if you're still a kid, you relate to that. You try, you're like, ah, oh, it didn't matter. We were going to get rid of it anyway. It didn't matter that I broke it. Or, you know. And then for some reason, it just seemed different for me to say it this way. Although maybe this is exactly the same thing. But maybe it'll help you a little like it helped me. God is just while still being gracious. And again, maybe those are exactly the same thing, but it helped me to think about it with changing the place of those words. God's just. He's not going to let sin go. He's a holy, perfect, pure God. There is no darkness in Him. He is light. He's purity. Everything He does is based in His goodness. He's good. And so he's just, and yet, while he's just, he's still gracious. And somehow that amazes us about God when we really think about it. The third thing we need to think about is that sin is a powerful force. Remember from chapter 4, verse 7, and that's printed on, those of you that have the uh, regular worship folders, you see that verse printed on there. Right? It's, it lies at the door. It desires you. God said that to Cain. It desires you. You know what God's really saying to Cain? Sin's waiting at the door. It desires to control you so it can destroy you. This is not a good relationship that sin is looking to have with you. But it's a powerful force. So don't mess around. Just like in Cain's story, God knows about it. If you have an active sin in your life, thoughts and Attitudes and 
behaviors. If you have an active sin in your life, you might be trying to hide it. God knows about it. Hey, where's your brother? Trick question. I already know where your brother is. I already know you killed him. And so, don't fool around with that. Don't mess around. God knows about it. And there's something uh, here too that I think the the power the power of sin is in how it deceives us and lies to us. In fact, when we understand what God is really like, it's amazing. Look at point number one, right? God is still gracious while He's just. Like sin says. You better run and you better hide. You better lie about it because otherwise you're dead meat. That's what sin says. But what does the cross say? What does the cross of Jesus Christ say? Does the cross of Jesus Christ when Jesus came to die, does that say run away because you have no hope because I'm going to have vengeance? The cross is the most inviting thing there ever was. It says, I know you've already done everything wrong and you've done terrible things and you've lied, you've stolen, you've killed and murdered. But come anyway. Because that's why I did this for you. And so this powerful force of sin doesn't want you to believe that. It wants you to believe the lie that it's better to run. But how many of us do this? We separate here in a church family like this, we have various uh, ways we meet together in community and uh, we support each other and things like that. But how many of you find that when you have an active sin in your life, you try to stay away from people? That's the lie of sin, saying, I'm not going to be accepted. And, I'm, and then part of it is still sin might be mastering you. You say, I want to do it longer, but I don't want anyone to know about it. And yet what Jesus does, what the cross does, it says, invite you anyway. The fact that you are a sinner to come and to face it, to face God who will be gracious to you. And so my final point then that for us and for uh, Cain and Abel is that God's approval is found in humility. I mean, go back to the worldview, humanism versus you know this Christian theism to believe in God as the Bible reveals him to us. Why did God approve Abel? not because he wanted the meat or he was glad the animal died. Abel offered the best of what he had. And he expressed to God, God, you're worth the best of what I have. That's a humble thing to do because the alternative is what Cain did. Cain said, the best of what I have should be mine. And God, hmm, you can take the rest. That's just pride. And so God's approval is always found in humility. And when you come to the cross, when you come to present yourself to Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and say you want him as his Savior, you you don't come and say, I don't really need you, Jesus, but you seem like you're a cool guy. I mean, I'm good on my own. That's just pride. I mean, God doesn't receive that. But what does God receive? The person who says, oh, I'm so broken, I'm dead. I need to come to life. The only one that can bring me to life is Christ. And so there's humility in that. So for all of us, whether we're Christians already or not, if if you're not a Christian already, when you approach God, you need to do it with humility to recognize that He 
made a way, he has a plan, you follow his plan, you'll be approved. And that plan is all found in faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian and you find yourself in sin, the way back is through humility. That approval will come through humility. So, give God your best. Don't be proud. Don't keep it for yourself. There's a way I want to respond to this, which uh, really is just through singing that song again. Um, So as I pray, the worship team's going to come and as as we can worship the Lord through this song, we can we can say, God, we we know who you are, we know who we are, and we present ourselves to you. So let me pray. God, thank you that you're gracious and just at the same time. Your justice gives us confidence that you take care of sin and you will def- you've defeated it. And yet your graciousness gives us confidence because we know we are all sinners. And so in the story of Cain and Abel, help us when we approach you uh, to think like Abel did, that you're worthy of all the best. When we act like Cain in our thoughts and even in our behaviors, Would we, when confronted with it, would we then have the humility to respond and say, that was not your way, God. That was wrong. Give us pure hearts. Give us clean hands, God, we pray in Jesus' name.